Open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews towards the end after Paul's letters and right before 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. Or you can go backwards, start Revelation, go backwards a few chapters, James, Jude, John. Um, and then let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. You have uh, already revealed yourself to us. Hmm. You've been so good. Uh, just all through worship, the Lord's just been faithful to remind me of his goodness and his faithfulness and his provision for this body and for me as an individual. So, Lord, we know that nothing is impossible without your spirit. Scripture says that all things are spiritually discerned. We know without you it's impossible for us to open the word and to discern what you're saying. We see in part, we prophesy in part. Father, we are asking right now that you would send your Holy Spirit in this place to speak to each one of our hearts that we would be transformed into more and more in the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. So that when we leave this place today, we'll be imparted and impacted and going into our jobs and our schools and our neighborhoods and make a difference. Father, I'm asking for transformation, revelation that comes only through the Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God. We just place ourselves in a position to be taught by you this now, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Throughout the Bible, we read about multiple covenants between God and mankind. And, and the sad part is, is that every single one of the covenants in here, man somehow breaks. And yet throughout Scripture, God has put memorials, has put uh, seasons, has put holidays, holy days in the Old Testament and the New Testament to remind us of his everlasting covenant with us. God's relentless pursuit of us is for one thing and one thing alone. God desperately wants to be with you and me. If you hear nothing else in this message, get that. He passionately, relentlessly pursues you. David said in Psalm 139, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I hide in the back of church, there you are. If I hide in my prayer closet, there you are. If I go to Rainbow Food, there you are. If I choose to step away from you and go to a bar, there you are. If I choose to backslide and say never again will I follow, there you are. God is relentless in his pursuit of us, and that's a good deal. I have confidence that he who began a good work is going to complete in me because of his pursuit of my life. When I said, I don't want anything to do with you, he pursued me. When I said, Jesus, you become the Lord of my life and you're my Savior, he has continued to pursue me and get so that I get it, that he loves me passionately, that he's forgiven me unconditionally as far as the east is from the west. I love what Pastor Dave said. You can go north and eventually you'll go south. You go east, you'll never hit west. As far as the east is from the west, he's, he's forgiven us of our sins and remembers them no more. If you get nothing else, get that message. That God loves you. That's my prayer. That God, through his Holy Spirit, would just penetrate that. Even if it means he shuts off everything else you hear from this point on. But he's a covenantal keeping God. And so he does things like have us have communion. And so at least once a week. Or if you go to, uh, I mean, once a month in our church, some churches it's once a week, some other churches it's daily. It's to be a memorial reminder of his covenant with us. This is the blood of the new covenant, he said. Or the New Testament, which is shed for the remissions of sin. Every single time we're supposed to be reminded and say, we have a covenant with God. 
That's what it was about. But we live in a litigious society that's filled with attorneys. I remember several years ago, I looked and there were like 75 pages of attorneys in the St. Paul phone book. I'm reminded of this every time I do a wedding. When I get to the point where it says, but the power vests in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the state of Minnesota, from when I say next that I pronounce them man and wife, it is going to take a judicial act to change that covenant, that vow, that pronouncement. And I'm always aware that there's attorneys sitting waiting for me to say that so they can undo what I just did. <laughs> we live in a covenant-breaking society. I write contracts as part of my job, and we have all these disclaimers, all these clauses so that both parties can get out of them. That's not God. God keeps going and winding away to get us into the covenant. And he eventually made a covenant that was so air-clad tight, made between him and him himself alone through the blood of Jesus, that no matter what we do, we can't break it. And that's what I want to look at today. We have a covenant with God. Some of you people say, well, you know what? They don't have much deep meaning in me. There's no, there's no real value to your word. There's no real value to my word. There's no real... I read the warranty, but yeah, but how good is that really? I read the, the contract I signed for this and that, but yeah, but how good is it really? I always tell people that the company that I work with in my secular job, that we're a handshake company. We write, we write 12, 15 pages of covenants to go put a door in. But I tell them we're a handshake company because somehow in our society we've lost that meaning of that word, that our word means anything. So sometimes when we hear that we have a covenant with God, it hits us as though it doesn't mean anything. And I want that the Holy Spirit would do something that we get it. Because it's serious business. Because if you get this, if you get this, it will radically change your life forever. In your understanding, in, your, in how you walk out and how you meet your, your job tomorrow, how you make your bills get paid, everything. I'm not talking about a prosperity message. I'm talking about an ironclad, guaranteed, written in the blood of Jesus Christ that we have with God. And there's times we learn to grow up and stand it. All throughout the Old Testament, there's a point where the Holy Spirit got the people of Israel out of their brokenness, out of their sinfulness, and brought them back. You find it in Ezra, Nehemiah. You find it in First and Second King. You find Josiah standing in Second Kings, discovering the covenant, reading the covenant. It always had the same response. The people were broken and cut to their core that they had turned their back on God. And once again, the covenant was renewed and reviewed, and they said, we'll follow you, God. Well, Jesus came to give us a covenant that we can't break. There's no escape clauses. There's nothing we can do to ruin the covenant. I love those kind of covenants. Those are really good. I know in my secular job, we try to rate it so that we can't ever lose. God does one better than this. It's a better covenant based on better promises. I believe that God's purpose is for us to have a deeper understanding of the covenant you have. Hebrews 7.22 says, So much more Jesus became the surety of a better covenant. A better covenant you'll ever understand. As great as the vow you made with husband and wife, this is a better covenant, David. A better covenant. Because as, in, as perfect as you think your marriage is, it's still a human being. A better covenant. A more lasting covenant. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. God gave us a new covenant. It's not a different covenant. It's the old covenant made better. We kept breaking the old covenant. Man continued to break the old covenant. In Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14, don't turn there, you can write it down. 
In fact, if I, I might go kind of fast today, because I know you're all interested in watching football, so we've got to get going on this thing. But I promise you I'll post my notes on the website, so you can go back and we'll get on BCF up there. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. That's from Deuteronomy 21, 23. That the blessing of Abraham might come in the Gentiles in Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It is the covenant that he made with Abraham, but is made much better, who is our spiritual father, whose descendants we are if we are in Christ Jesus. Read the book of Hebrews. He does a whole lot better job of unpacking that and helping us to understand genealogically how we are connected with Abraham. And God made covenants, so we're going to look at them. God made a covenant with Abraham. When I read that, that I, that's a, I'm a partaker of that, man, I want to know what I need to do to get this thing in my life. Because if God's made a covenant with me, I want something I can stand on when I'm pleading my cases. He's the glory and lifter of our heads. He's the strong tower that we run to. But I come into the strong tower on the word of God saying, God, I'm pleading my case here. And it's not so much me strongholding him as much as me trying to get my flesh and my will and the spirit all lined up with what he says in here. We know that Abraham was blessed. If you look at him, he was a blessed guy. No matter what he did, God blessed him. He took a man by the name of Abram and made a covenant with him, and he blessed him. So what does the covenant mean? It really is simply broken down. If you read the Greek, it pretty simply says this. It is the last will and testament that a person makes. It's a covenant. It's a testament. We have on your laps right now a copy of the covenant we have with God. It's separated by two different books. One is called the Old Covenant, and the other is called the New Covenant. You just happen to use the word testament. We have the Old Testament of God. We have the New Testament of God. Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's what the Bible is about. I know you think that it's supposed to be something you're supposed to memorize and use to you know, fight your battles. It's not. It's, it's a book containing the covenants that God made with us. And it talks about the process that he made to reveal himself from the fall of man all the way through the point when he returns and takes us home to heaven. That's what this is. This is a legal book. It talks about his relationship with us. And if you don't read it through the eyes of covenant, you're just going to sit there and not understand why God destroyed this one and why God didn't destroy that one. Why one day God says, I'm going to turn my back on them, and the next day he says, I'm going to follow them. Why God is suddenly, relentlessly pursuing a group of people that want nothing to do with him. When I read those stories, I take great hope because I said, I'm in the new covenant. And if you relentlessly pursued a group of people that wanted nothing to do with you, how much more? That's why it's a better covenant. How much more will you pursue when I want to follow you? And I thank God that I'm in the New Testament and not the Old Testament. Because there's a lot of bad people in here. You read the book of First and Second Kings and Chronicles. Israel was separated. There was a point where all of a sudden, I'll give you a little background. There was a point where Israel was separated ten tribes of the north, two tribes of the south. Judah and Israel. Judah basically tried to follow God. Israel said, we want nothing to do with it. This is after David, after Solomon. They got to the point where they wanted nothing to do with God. Israel wanted to do what they wanted to do. They set up their own gods. They set up their own Asherpole. They set up the Baal worship. Judah, on the other hand, tried to follow God. And so you, the, the books of Kings and Chronicles are stories of these good kings and bad kings. Israel has more bad kings than Judah did. But Judah was just as corrupt. Eventually, they become one tribe again. Again, go way back. There were 10 tribes, separated them out, 12 tribes, excuse me. They separated them out, 10 in Israel, 2 in Judah, okay? More than you want to know. But here's the deal you need to understand. 
Because there was a covenant, God never turned his back and said, Israel, bad, not going to love them anymore. Judah, good, I'm going to follow him. He said, I made a covenant with these people, and I'm not giving up. And he kept eventually revealing this New Testament that superseded all of them, took them all together and says, "Ah, this way you can't get out of it. The thing I love about Jesus is this. He not only paid for this covenant, he's our attorney. He's the one pleading the case. Where do you get that? Romans 8 said he ever lives, or Hebrews says he ever lives to intercede for us. Romans 8 tells us that even right now he's interceding for us. It says the Holy Spirit is cooperating through us as we intercede and takes our prayers in a way that God understands them and then sends them back to us in a way we understand God. We have a covenant with God. It's not going to be broken because of our disobedience. That doesn't break the covenant. That's the part that's so cool about it. Constantly, they rejected him. Constantly in First and Second Kings, you read this. More Second Kings. You read that Israel continued to sin, and they did evil just like his father did. And he was more evil than his father. And he was more evil than his father. He was more evil than his father. Judah, on the other hand, it says they followed after God. However, however, they didn't destroy the incense places. However, they allowed the, the wicked people to live in the land. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is Judah. We follow God, but we tolerate sin in our life. Now, be real careful. People start getting to legalism. You say, what do I mean? We tolerate immorality in our life. We tolerate immorality in the church. We tolerate things we watch that we shouldn't be watching. We're Judah. We love God, but we tolerate because we're ignorant of the fact that he's got a covenant with us. When we understand we have a covenant, we say, God, what's my part? That's why the whole thing of of every single week we come into the church, we we shouldn't be focusing on what we wear. We shouldn't be focusing on who's sitting next to us and who's not sitting next to us, whether they shook their hands or should not shake our hands. There should be a point where all of a sudden we get drawn into the place of this, the cross of Jesus Christ. Not only is it a symbol of what he did, but it's a symbol of what he paid for. He paid for you to have entrance. That's why it says in the Hebrews, we need to come boldly in the throne room of grace, in the throne room of God, that we find mercy and grace in our hour of need. The cross is empty. Jesus paid once for all, it says in, in Hebrews 10, 10 through 12 paid once for all and seated at the right hand of the Father and sitting there even now. The sacrifice has been paid. Good news. A better covenant. See, when God made a covenant with him, with Israel and with Judah, he never went back on his word. Whenever God made a covenant with a man, he never went back on his word. As much as it grieved his heart, as much as I think he wanted to destroy them, the thing I love about the Old Testament is constantly God says, and the word of God says, but God remembered his covenant with David. But God remembered his covenant with Abraham. But God, isn't that he forgot? His own word stood there before him and he would not violate what he covenanted himself to these people. He didn't turn back on his back. In the Old Testament, there are basically eight major uh, covenants. Let's go through them real quickly. Write them down. Like I said, I'll put my notes on there. The first one was the Eden covenant. It was made in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. He made it with Adam. It was a really simple covenant. He told them this. Populate, subdue the earth. Exercise dominion over the animals. Care for the garden. And refrain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all I ask of you. And then you can fellowship with me. We'll walk together. We'll love it. But man said, uh, what was the one thing I couldn't do? And chose to do it. So man terminated the Edenic covenant, the Garden of Eden covenant. Broke it. 
So God, being a good, gracious God, went and instituted the Adamic covenant with Adam. Genesis 3, 14 to 21. It's a covenant that, in essence, protects us from being destroyed until the new covenant comes, until the new curse is lifted. There's conditions for Satan. There's conditions for man. There's conditions for um, Adam, for Eve. What's going to take place on the earth? Death suddenly enters in, and there's a prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah in there. God gives them hope, covers their nakedness, and says, here's the plan, now walk in that covenant that I have for you. Man is sinful, man chose to rebel, man rejected it. So we find God destroying the earth and getting frustrated with man, and he floods the whole nation, and everything is destroyed except for Noah and a group of people hidden inside of an ark. Why? Because God made a covenant. And God said, I'm going to start over again. We're going to do this different. So he makes the Noahic covenants, Genesis 9, 1 through 19. There was still the responsibility to populate and subdue the earth and take care of people. Suddenly there was the whole idea of the sacredness of human life was established. He'd already seen it in Genesis earlier when Adam's son killed the other son. But today it was his promise that God said, I will never destroy the earth again. Every time he says, every time I see the rainbow, I will remind myself that I have a covenant with you, never destroy the earth again with flood. That's why when we see the tsunamis, that's when we see all this destruction, we can stand in the confidence that God's not going to flood the earth. That's the good news. The bad news is Genesis or Revelation tells us that he's going to destroy the earth with fire. So I'm not sure which one's a better deal. But God has kept his word faithfully for thousands of years and never flooded the earth. That's little comfort if you live by the Red River Valley. But it's great comfort if you, re- if you live in the fear of having to be destroyed by water. You can stand in the confidence that God's word is still faithful. It's still true. Number four is the Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with a man by the name of Abram and his wife Sarai. You know them as Abraham and Sarah. Yahweh, if I was Hasidic, you could hear it. He took his covenant that he made with a man by the name of Abram and made him Abraham and Sarah. He put the word Yahweh or Jehovah into this man so that every time he would hear that, he would know he had a covenant with God. We are children of it. It's the Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. He talked about the idea that it would be a national blessing, it would be a universal blessing, it would be a personal blessing. We can walk in this covenant because we are children of Abraham by faith. That's why I bless Jews. That's why I've fallen in love with Jews. I want to bless the Jews. I want to bless Israel. As wicked and as, as unproductive as Israel has been for thousands of years as far as following God, I will continue to bless Israel. I will continue to bless them. Why? Because I want the blessing. I want the blessing to flow in my life. I want to curse them. I want to bless them. We've already discussed this. Go get the tape on blessing and cursing. We want to see God do this. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It is still in existence today because we are children of Abraham. We can walk in and read Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Those are your promises. That's a covenant with God. He hasn't broken it. He has not rescinded it. And as soon as you get that inside of the fiber of your being and it affects your day-to-day life, it will make a difference in how you walk in this earth. We're the head, not the tail. We're above, not beneath. God doesn't give us leftovers. I'm not talking about just financial things. I'm talking about of his time. We are precious to him. He really wants to spend time with us. And he covenanted himself in a way that we can't ruin that. And we saw it when he did with Abraham. Number five is the Mosaic Covenant. 
Genesis 19, 5 and 8. He said, pretty simple, obey my voice and you will be my special treasure. Follow me and I will make you my people. He added with the, ad, the Abrahamic covenant, in essence, to try to show these people the practice on how to walk it out. Don't eat this, don't do that. Some of it was just good common sense. Some of it eventually became laws and regulations that uh, Jesus had to come in and correct because they tried to interpret everything. But the intention of it was saying, well, how do we walk this out? How do we live it? It was conditional, basically, to show us we can never live up to the standards of perfection. We need a Savior. All throughout the Old Testament, he was constantly trying to point us to the fact that we can't do it ourselves. Man never is good enough. We have a covenant with God. Number six was the Palestinian covenant. Genesis 29, 10 to 15, and Genesis 30, 11 to 20. The legal aspects are immediate and they are conditional. The grace aspects are future and they're unconditional. Once again, Israel chose to not follow the covenant. Once again, God continued to say, I'm sending a Savior to clean this whole mess up. One that you can't break. Number seven is one of my favorite covenants. It's the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, 4 to 17. Israel suddenly would have land. They would have unending dynasty They have an everlasting kingdom. This covenant alone spared Judah and Israel from destruction over and over and over and over again. You will find throughout the whole Old Testament after David's born, it wasn't before David, after David was born, the Father God saying, I made a covenant with David and I'm not backing off. And because of that covenant, I will follow through with it and I'll bless this nation because of it. It's out of the lineage, out of this covenant, the the Davidic covenant, came Jesus out of the tribe of, of David. He came out of the thing because part of the covenant was that the son would always sit on the throne and you have to sit there and do a little unpacking of the thing that you see in the New Testament where it talks about the genealogy of Mary and Jesus. And I know this went way over your head, but the essence is this. Jesus had a legal right to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, through the lineage of marriage and Joseph because of the Davidic covenant that he prophesied and said it was coming. You say, what difference does this make? It all led up to this one. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Jeremiah prophetically speaks about this new covenant that's coming. The one that's not going to do away with all the old ones, but are going to put them together in a way that if you catch this, if you understand this, it'll bring freedom in your life. I watch people struggling, hoping they're going to make it as a Christian. That they hope that God forgives them. That they hope that they can learn from God. I just can't get anything out of it. You have shouting grounds in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It's a new covenant. It's regenerational. God will put his law in our hearts and our mind. It's national uh, restoration. Yahweh will be their God, and they will be his people. It's personal ministry of the Holy Spirit is introduced here. It's the first time they're talking about the Holy Spirit coming and making a difference in our lives. And there's full justification for sin. Full justification for sin. As if I had never sinned, it's fulfilled in Jesus. That's why this covenant is the powerful one. This is the one that it took the covenant between God and himself as Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, if there's any other way, let's go that route. But there was no other way. That's why his words, when he said it's finished, it was written, the covenant was sealed in the blood in his death, burial, and erection of Jesus Christ. Suddenly we have a covenant that we can walk out. Suddenly we have a covenant that can give us freedom. We have a new covenant. 
a different covenant, not a, I mean, a better covenant, not a different covenant. So let's unpack this Hebrews 8. We'll go through pretty quickly. Verse 6. But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he's also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. In chapter 7, verse 22, it says, By so much more Jesus had become the surety of a better covenant. He became the guarantee. It's a legal term. It was establishment is a legal term. It's grounds. It's the kind of thing that all the attorneys that are in this church here look for when they're trying to present a case and trying to plead a case. You can't just kick a door in. There are legal grounds to prevent you from doing it, but you also there's a legal way you can kick the door in. Is that not correct? That's what this is trying to say. It was established on better promises. That's what made it surety. The promises in there, we'll read it, is to help us to walk it out. We don't have to do it all by ourselves anymore. Before in the past, they had to try to figure out what it took to please God. And God said, I'll figure it out for you. It'll be on my promises, not on yours. Help with perseverance and grace and holiness. Jesus paid for it all, and he's our mediator. He's the one that completed it. Better conditions for forgiveness. One sacrifice for all. It's done. No more sacrifices. No more crawling on your knees to approach the altar. No more giving up Pepsi or Coca-Cola during Lent to make it right with God. Give up Pepsi and Coke to seek God during that time. Don't do it to pay for your sins. It's already been paid for. It's blasphemous to God to say, I'm trying to pay for my sins. Blasphemous. You've rejected the Holy Spirit. The unpardonable sin is that you reject the work of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit is trying to speak it to you and you go and you say, I'm not going to listen to this. I know it's tough when we sin to walk out and believe that God's forgiven you and to get up and to keep moving. I know it's tough from personal experience. But I'm telling you, when you get there, there's a freedom. And saying you paid for it. And just out of respect and love for you, I'm going to walk in that and receive that. I'm not going to blaspheme your name. I'm going to honor your name and say, look what the Lord has done. He's healed me. He's delivered me. He's set me free. And I'm a testimony of his goodness. That's what, that's what Paul did. He called himself going from the, the best Pharisee, the most legalistic person, all the way to the chief of sinners. Why did he do that? Because he got to the place of recognizing what Jesus did in his life. That God was really so good. Hebrews 9.15 says this. For this reason, he, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant by the means of death and redemption and the transgression under the first covenant, those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there's a testament or covenant, there's a necessity of the death by the tester. He did it. You don't just walk in and try to get the thing to happen. There has to be a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to prove it. Paul says, if it didn't happen, then we should be pitied. But it did happen. He paid for it. It's a better covenant. Verse 7 of Hebrews 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with him, he says, Behold, the days are coming, said the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The old covenant had flaws, if I can put it that way. You know what the flaws were? It was contingent upon man walking it out. That was the flaws. It was perfect for his kind, but imperfect compared to the new covenant. Man continues to turn their back on God. You and I continue to turn our back on God. Listen to our prayers. Listen to how we talk about the table. Listen to how we talk about situations. We'd be embarrassed to sit there when there's a situation. Well, I don't know how we're ever going to make it. I know we're going to make it. We're going to make it somehow. We're going to get through this economic situation somehow. I said, we were sitting there last 
Tuesday. I took a 46% pay cut. And that didn't go over very well inside of my flesh. Because I had all these things I want to do for God. And I appreciate your words, Andrew, because that is, the, that is the art attitude of God. But we were sitting there at Ordway Hall, sitting in the most expensive seats, and realized in the last week we had been at Chanhassen Dinner's Theater, sitting right in front of there where somebody else paid our bill. And we were sitting at the Ordway in the most expensive seats. And the stuff that wasn't picked up, a friend of ours picked it up. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Your provision is not based on, on the economic situation, it is based on a loving father who cares for you and provides for you. We got that settled? Good. We continue to turn our back on God because we just don't trust him. And God wants to change that. Not like this, not a scolding of the finger, but to saying, come here, I want you to know who I am. Come in boldly. Talk with me. Jesus understood what it was like to go through this earth. Go talk to him. Say, God, I'm really mad at you. It doesn't make any sense. He's not going to push you away. Come boldly in the throne room that you might find mercy and grace in your hour of need. Some of you come into your prayer room so pious and holy and think that God doesn't know what's going on inside of your heart. He knows. He knows what it's like to be rejected. The only time on the cross, uh, the only time ever in Scripture where Jesus refers to God as God is when he's on the cross and sin was upon him. All the other times it was my Father, my Father in heaven, my Father in heaven. As sin was on him, he understood what it was like to see God for God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what we're going through. He knows what it's like. He said he was tempted and everything like we are, but he did not sin. Don't run away from him. Go in there and say, God, I don't, this isn't making any sense. And I need you to help it make sense to me. Help me to, to appropriate the things that you've already appropriated for me. Verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, I disregarded them. The old covenant was not sure or steadfast on man's part. Even though God led them by the hand, even though think of all the things that took place. Our resident expert Dwayne here would tell you story after story of what Moses has accomplished. But he led them from, from a place of enslavement all the way through for 40 years, and they still didn't get it. He took them by the hand, provided for them shoes that didn't wear out, provided for them food every single morning, water from a rock, provided for them, and they still said, We we don't have nothing to do with you. They continue to reject the yoke of the Lord. And God says, okay, you want to do it your way? Go on your own. And then he said he remembered his covenant. Verse 10, for this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, after those days, says the Lord. Again, he's prophesying what Jesus was going to do. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God will make his terms known to us. That's what's so cool to me. We don't have to try to figure it out. Should I drink coffee or shouldn't I drink coffee? Should I wear a suit or not wear a suit? Do I watch TV or not watch? God will make known to you. He's going to write them on our minds. He's going to write them in our hearts. He's going to reveal what he wants us to do. The Old Testament laws are written for them. The New Testament laws are written in us so that we can walk them out. Oh, I just can't, I just can't walk away from that sin. Yeah, you can. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Learn to walk with him and to cooperate with him. Our hearts and our minds are the very places he writes them. He will take us to a closer relationship with him. God founded on the relationship, I will be your God. 
I will be your God. You don't have to look anywhere else. You don't have to look for other people. You don't have to look for other cisterns or wells, as Jeremiah says. I will be your God. I will give you the grace to respond to my love, and I choose to call you my people. Peter says we're, we're put together. We're, we're a peculiar people. We are chosen people. That's not a lead standard. He wishes that none should perish, but all would have eternal life. He wants us to tell those, everybody, whoever they are, to come into the family. He chose you and paid for you to come in there. And he writes it on our hearts. And he writes it on his, in our hearts and gives us a revelation of himself. In verse 11, it says that. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none of them his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. You know what that's saying? We don't have to sit there and try to suddenly get all the LEDTS classes in order to know who God is. Instead, we take the LED classes to learn how to be equipped to tell others who God is. We take the LEDS classes in order to be transformed in areas that we're weak or we're struggling in, but not to know God. Because this talks about a personal relationship that he's going to come and meet us. So if all of a sudden you're sitting here with your ears plugged up and you're saying, la, 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 I'm not going to listen and you're standing in the middle of the row of rainbow, the God of the universe can come up to you and say, I want to let you know I love you. That's the good news. And I think if we had enough time here, we could pass on the microphone of the time after time after time after time of God relentlessly pursuing us when we said, what, what good does it do to serve God? Hopefully I won't embarrass my mom. I remember one of my favorite stories. It, wasn't, it was a terrible time for them. They had been used prophetically and very strong in prayer ministry. And there was a time in their life where my dad, after he retired, was supposed to, you know, just live this blissful life on a lake and, and all these wonderful things. And he physically got sick. And then my mom got physically sick. And then they had storm after storm. I think it was like two or three storms that blew down massive mature trees on their property. At least, at least two different times, right? And I remember the time, and it took out the, the well, and it took out the holding tank. It was a very bad time for them. They had lay hands on people and watched them get healed. And it was like, God, why have you abandoned us? And it was one of the worst things I ever heard my mom say, other than go out and cut the grass. It was one of the worst things I ever heard my mom say was, only the, the wicked prosper. God has turned his back on us. And I, and I thought, I don't know what to tell her. And I remember the next day getting the phone call. The word of God came alive as she read the scripture and says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That God reminded her lovingly, you have a covenant with me. And they got through that. And the, and the place was cleaned up, and it was provided for, and healing came. And they're stronger today, pardon mom, they're stronger today in their 80s than they were in their 60s when this whole journey started. God continues to say, I know you're hurting, but come back to me. Amen. There's some of you today here that don't know Jesus Christ. Today, today can be the day that you know him. I'm not talking about know about him, I mean know him. Some of you have been Christians a long time, and you've forgotten that you made a commitment in eighth grade. And you've walked away from him. The Bible calls that a backslider. And God is saying, softly and tenderly, Jesus is coming. Come all sinners, come home. Some of you have been Christians a long time and you still don't know this God. You really don't know Father God. Because I hear it out of your language. I don't mean swearing. I mean just what you talk about and how you talk about situations. This says, he's going to come and give a revelation of himself to you. I stand there and say, Father, I don't know everything about you. This is so good. You're going to come. There's times where I talk about the Father heart of God, and it's like, how do I get it across to them? And it's saying, you don't have to. Just do what I tell you to do. I will reveal it. That's how I got the revelation. As I'm reading the Word, and all of a sudden I start seeing it, and I start reading in the Old Testament, and said, you really are a good God. And you've always been a good God. 
and he's transformed my image of who he is from this angry, self-righteous man who has rules to this loving, compassionate God as revealed in Genesis when he made man and walked in the garden all the way until we see him seated on the throne. He's a holy God. Holy because he's different than you and I. He doesn't sin. Hebrews 12 says this. I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 8.12 says, For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds will I remember no more. That's a covenant. Well, yeah, but I don't feel forgiven. It doesn't matter. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse of all unrighteousness. It's not based on what we feel like. There are times we need to stand in that and say, but God says if I confess my sins, which means I agree that he says is wrong, this is wrong, it says that he's going to forgive me. He's going to remove as far as the east is from the west. I will be merciful, it says. Total pardon. And our pardon is not based on us. It never is. It never will be. It never has been. And if you're still struggling with that, you've got to get that right and say, God, you've got to show me something different because I think he's tired of us coming in there with our stories. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. It's been a week and I've sinned and I've done this. I'm tired of that versus coming on and saying, Dad, I just want to say thank you. You've been good to me this week. Man, I had some bad things and I did some dumb things, and I, but you were good. I'll tell you this, you were good, God. It's totally from the mercy of God, hallelujah, not based on anything you and I will ever do. Total forgiveness. It extends to all types of sins. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they had special sacrifices for different sins. Sometimes it was a couple of doves. Several times it was a couple of heifers. One sin is all it took to separate us from God. One sacrifice, one covenant is all it takes for us to get right with God. One sacrifice for all. Write down Hebrews 10, 10 to 12. Right here sometimes. This Jesus, after he sacrificed, sat down. Daily, it says, the priest stands ministering, offering sins that can never take away forgiveness of sins. Talking about the Old Testament where the priest used to go in there every day and light the fire and do the sacrifice. Trying to say the Old Covenant is over now. This one man, Jesus, our mediator between God and man, paid for it, and he sat down the right hand of the Father and is done. Total pardon. He remembers them no more. Listen, I think it's totally disrespectful of God. for His love for us, every time we keep saying, oh, but God, I did this two years ago. It's one thing to say, I thank you, forgave me for when I sinned, but you keep, he remembers them no more. Why do you keep bringing them up? Better, to not, better not to even bring them up. Take a risk that maybe this, this word might not be true and quit telling him what you did. He forgave us, that's good enough. Okay, next. I mean, that's the way I know the attorneys do it. Got to sign it. Okay, good, next. They don't want you to sit there and read the fine print. The fine print says he remembers them no more. So quit bringing them up to God. Quit spending all your prayer time in the church service telling God all the bad things you did. Confess your sins. It is appropriate. In fact, it talks about a communion. We need to examine ourselves. There are some sick and dead among you because you've not examined your heart. It is right to stand and worship them saying, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. I don't want any hindrance from my life. I don't want any hindrance in anyone else in this room from worshiping you. Show me what I did wrong. Confess it and then move on and start thanking him for that forgiveness. Don't keep bringing up what you did 15 years ago. Some of you are still stuck in that, and you've got to get to the place of standing on this word where it says one sacrifice, total forgiveness, total pardon, and walk it out. But God, I don't feel it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If I told you that you had a covenant, last will and testament, and you're going to get a million dollars, whether you feel like you're going to get a million dollars or not has nothing to do with it. And if you don't want it, move out of the way and let somebody else did it. What do I mean by that? Quit walking around telling everybody else how partially forgiven you are as a witness. You're a bad witness. 
stands when these people that just can't seem to shut them up sometimes, unless I'm talking, where he talks about, look what the Lord has done in my life. And it's, it's an overflowing testimony of what God has done everywhere he goes. And someday he'll mature, and then we'll get another young Stan who doesn't know any better and once again starts. You know what I'm talking about? We forget that stuff. We forget about the first time. Maura, we were, we were thinking this week, as Judith moved into an apartment um, over on Grand Avenue, just filled my heart with hope as Kathy and I were helping to move in. I said, remember how Maura got saved? How God put a Christian into that apartment building, the condo, whatever it was at that time, and reached out to you and Russ and Becky Dobler and witnessed to you and brought you to the Lord. That, that gave me such hope. That testimony that you gave gave me hope for my own children, that God is going to continue to reach out to them, to the people I work with, to the relatives that don't know him, to the neighbors that I've been a bad witness to. He's going to do it, though. God tells us the terms for forgiveness is what verse 12 says. It's not based on our terms. God, if I... No, no, it's what I do. It's based totally on what Jesus Christ did. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. Remember no more. Well, God, are you sure you want to go there? I will be merciful to who I choose to be merciful. That's why he introduced himself in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Verse 13, he says, a new covenant. He has, in, in that, he says, the new covenant, he has made the old and the first one obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is already about to vanish. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is ready to vanish away. He's not going to let us keep doing the goats and the rams. In fact, in the Old Testament, he says, it's a stench to my nostril, the stuff you keep doing for me. I don't want it. If I, if I, required, if I required the sacrifice, I would tell you about it. I don't, I don't want that. That's not what I want. A broken and contrite heart is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for it. He has shown you, old man, it says, he has shown you, old man, what is required of you. He's already shown you to love mercy, to walk justly, to be humble before your God. That's what required of you. Yeah, but I think I'll go sacrifice a cow. That'll make God happy. He has already shown you, old man, what's required of you. He's already paid for it. It's already done. A new covenant has made the old obsolete. The antiquated become new when it was fulfilled in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If it's night out and you got a candle lit, you still need a candle lit the day the sunshine comes out? When you have a candle lit, you still need it when the S-O-N comes out? You don't. The old has become obsolete. The old, the old was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do. The new covenant became the fulfillment. So what is our covenant? This is the covenant that no lawyer can refute. I know you think you're good, Brenda, but you ain't going to refute this one. Where's coffee? As good as you are, coffee, you're not going to refute this one. This is our covenant with God. It's not based on what you did. In fact, as attorneys, you guys should really appreciate it even more because you understand how law works. And you've seen it in the criminal justice system where a person who's guilty gets off simply because of the law. Understand the word of God this way. You have a covenant with God. Let me read it to you. This is our covenant with God. It says, you'll put his laws into our mind. He will write his laws in our hearts. He will do it. He will be to us a God. We shall be to him a people. All of us will know him from the least to the greatest. Well, I can see what Pastor Jim knows. All of us from the least to the greatest will know. The Pharisees didn't get it. They, the disciples didn't get it. They forbid people to come to him. He says, unless you enter in like a little child, unless you come in it, 
He'll put his laws into our hearts. He'll write his laws into our he'll put his laws into our minds. He'll write his laws into our hearts. He'll be to us, O oh God. We shall be to him a people. All of us will know him from the least to the greatest. He'll be merciful to our unrighteousness. He'll remember our sins and our iniquities no more. Signed in the blood of Jesus, we have a covenant with God. Ironclad, guaranteed, based on the word of God, not based on what I said. That ought to be shouting grounds for you. We never initiate covenant. I'm going to tell you this. Legally, that's called fraud. You find out somebody's dying and you initiate your way into that thing, that's called fraud and embezzlement. You see it all the time with people muzzling and people that are old people are dying. We never initiate a covenant. God came to us. That's why, to me, it's such a great news. It took me years to get this. Oh, God, I'm not worthy enough to receive this. doesn't have anything to do with you. I made the covenant with you. It's like love. Try to figure out my wife loves me. It isn't based on anything I do. It's based just because she loves me. And the sooner I got that through my head and quit trying to tell her why she shouldn't love me and just received it, it was, she was happier, I was happier. You want to do God a favor? You want to make him joyful? Saying, God, I just want to thank you that you love me. Hmm? Don't point out the faults. He knows they're there, but don't point them out to him. Why? Because we're made in his image and likeness. God's the only one that initiates the covenant. God comes to us, he pleads with us, he tells us what to do, he enables us to help us walk it out, he intercedes for us, and then he sends his Holy Spirit to remind us that we have a covenant. Wrapping it up, the worship team wants to come up. Listen to this in light of the covenant. Mark 16, 15 to 18. It's the, it's the commission. He said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and baptized will be saved. He who does not will be condemned. And these are the signs will follow those who believe. This is really good covenant stuff. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak in other tongues. In my names, they will pick up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, in my name, it will no longer hurt them. No means hurt them. In my names, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We have a covenant with God. It should make a difference in how you approach it. It should, should make a difference in how you go through your day as all of a sudden the enemy's coming at you should remind you, I have a covenant with God. I don't have to fight this battle by myself. Some of you get worked up in a lather and forget you have covenant with God. It's more than what we can understand. It's all because of what Jesus did. Now we can read and talk about the covenant, but it won't do any good until we walk it out. It's It's useless. Because, again, we will eventually get up to Mount Sinai. And we're going to walk up to Mount Sinai where the law was given. I mean, you know something, what I really appreciate about how God does things? He always says types and shadows. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Moses went up to Sinai and got the law. The second time Moses went up there, what did he get? He got grace. He got the revelation of Jesus. Peter, James, and John, Elijah, and Moses were standing up there. And there was a revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to go to Mount Sinai eventually. Go there with the eyes of Jesus and the revelation of grace. Because the other way, with Moses, you find law. Moses came to point people to the need for a Savior and then to take us to there. Let's pray. Father, we unpacked a lot of stuff here. But I speak in confidence knowing this, that your word is true. That you are able to work through our, our, our words, you're able to work through Scripture, and you're able to reveal yourself. I love what you said to, G- to Peter when he revealed that the Father and you said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. But my Father in heaven, 
and the understanding that came of the Lordship of Jesus Christ came through the movement of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I am asking you to take the word that's been imparted here and make a difference. Make a difference to how we respond, Lord. Make a difference in this so that we look back and we see that something grew, something changed, something was manifested. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we open up Scripture, show us, reveal to us this covenant, impact us by it. I ask forgiveness, Father, for how we've not walked it out, but, Father, it's a new day. It's a new revelation. Thank you that you bring us hope, that you're going to write it on our minds, you're going to write it in our hearts, that you're going to be our God, and we're going to be your people. And you're going to take our sins and give us total pardon if we remember them no more. Father, remember your covenant with your people. Remember your covenant with your people, Lord. I pray that as we leave this place, we will walk out in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I love this at the end of Hebrews 13. It says this, Now may the God of peace who brought our, our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, May he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Again, come back 5.15 for dinner. Kathy said she'd have the meal a little bit earlier if you're taking the, either of the two classes early. I don't, know if, I don't know what early means. Five? Five will be ready for you. Go with God.